an invitation so that your joy may be complete. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, says, God lives in unapproachable light. No one has seen him or can see him. And those who reject the truth have only the fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pause and consider three important truths that I believe should be our focus as we consider this passage before us. We find them in verses 5, verses 7 and 9 of 1 John 1. Now the message that we have heard from his son and announces this, God is light and there is no darkness at all in him. But if we live in the light, just as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. If we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our wrongdoing. If we believe the Bible to be God's word and to be true and reliable, these are three absolutely key promises that should give us confidence that God is not after us to harm us. Instead, in his incredible love, he really wants us to focus on him and come to know him and grow in our love for him because eternity is waiting for each of us. And how better to spend it than joyfully in the presence of the Lord who is inviting us to be his friend. Let us pray. Our loving Father, as we pause to consider your word, help us to read it, not with fear, but with understanding. Help us to read it and give us faith to believe what you're saying. And Lord, we pray that you would Help us to consider it so that we can apply what you're teaching us to our lives. So that we can be the people you truly want us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name. How do you find your way through life successfully? How do we know that we're not going to fail? How do we get to know God? John's first letter is all about knowing God. It was written to Christians about AD 85 to 95. Christians who were facing the dilemma of false teachers, whose teaching undermined what had been taught from reliable sources. John wrote this, to provide answers to that dilemma so people could be sure who God really is. This book is all about knowing God and living an authentic life as his son or daughter. It appears the letter was circulated among a number of churches in Asia, threatened by a form of false teaching, an early form of heresy known as Gnosticism. 
They taught that matter was entirely evil and spirit was entirely good. This teaching resulted in two fundamental errors. Their new theology, as I read in the IVP commentary of 1 John, explains that it was centred in a denial of the Incarnation. They believed that God could not be contaminated by a human body, so they did not believe that God became man in Jesus Christ. Some taught that he merely seemed to have a body. But the view that seems to have been in the background of much of 1 John claimed that the divine Christ descended on Jesus at his baptism, but departed before the crucifixion. They also had a new morality, These false teachers claim to have reached such an advanced stage in spiritual experience that they were beyond good and evil. They maintained that they had no sin, not in the sense that they had attained moral perfection, but in the sense that what might be sin for people at a less mature stage of inner development was no longer sin for the completely spiritual man. What intensified this problem was that these false teachers had once been an active part of the fellowship which John's readers were continuing to enjoy. But because their new teaching was so contrary to the apostolic truth of the gospel, they had to part company with the faithful. That left those who remained in the true fellowship unsettled and shaken and wondering about truth. And they needed to be reassured about the truth of what they had been taught originally. But in the process, the others also needed to be exposed for what they truly were, unbelieving heretics. So John focuses on who God is. I read that none of the other biblical writers tell us so much about what God really is as does the Apostle John. All of them tell us what he does, Some describe the glory that surrounds him. But John tells us what God is in his true nature. You see, John is first and foremost concerned about the people he's teaching. He really wants them to understand God and his plan and purpose for them. And so he writes, We write to you about the word of life, which has existed from the very beginning. We have heard it and we've seen it with our eyes, Yes, we have seen it and our hands have touched it. When this life became visible, we saw it. So we speak of it and tell you about the eternal life which was with the Father and was made known to us. What we have seen and heard we announce to you also so that you will join with us in the fellowship that we have with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this in order that our joy may be complete. John refers to himself in another part as the disciple that Jesus loved. He was an apostle. He has seen Christ. He loved Christ. He spent three years living with him, travelling with him, and was with him wherever he went. He knows what Christ values and his heart for the world. So having experienced this transforming love, he starts by telling us about the word of life. 
He is bringing our attention to the same message about Jesus that we read about at the start of John's Gospel, where he writes, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was the source of life, and this life brought light to people. You see, John is using the picture of the word, the Greek word logos, to represent Christ. It is in this sense of who Jesus is and his transforming relationship with people who accept his offer of love that he wants to convey. It was not just that John wanted to do this. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he left the apostles behind and empowered them by the Holy Spirit to take his place and spread his teaching and talk about what he had done. His death and resurrection had replaced the old sacrificial system so that man can be restored to God. Jesus gave up his life to cover all the sins for all time, for all the world. Now that is good news. It's not a matter of sacrificing animals to try and satisfy the wrath of an angry God. Christ has taken the place of all sacrifices for all time. John uses three words to describe how the gospel is being shared. He says, talking as an apostle, we testify to what we have seen and heard. John wasn't just hearing, he wasn't just reading in a book, in a Bible as we do, he had seen Christ, he had walked with Christ and so he was testifying, he was witnessing to what he had seen and heard. This is a legal term that originated in the courts of law and means to tell of what one has seen. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. While this might seem similar to testify, it suggests a commission from Christ. It suggests that Christ has given them the authority to preach the gospel. Thirdly, John says, we write these things that our joy, and a textual variant says it might be that your joy might be full. It was not just a message for the disciples to keep to themselves. And so today, the message of salvation is not secret knowledge for us or our family and for our benefit, but it's for everyone, as Jesus commanded. Not only is the message to be spoken, we're to live it out and to encourage other hearers to do likewise. This involves the outworking of salvation on both the horizontal and the vertical levels. The horizontal level is where we're living out our faith in life, in relationships. Faith lived out will impact our relationships with others. The vertical level is the level that we most often think of between God and man. And that is vitally important. Because it's only when there's a strong relationship between a person and God that they can truly live at peace with others. Each Christian must take the words of John seriously. John adds that the message he has written here is to make our joy or make your joy complete. This is real joy. It is something that we're working 
to refine, working to achieve, but it will not be perfected in our or any other lifetime. Therefore, verse 4 may, may rightly be understood as pointing ultimately to the final reality of overcoming the battle with our human nature in heaven. Sanctification is a lifelong process. We can never say that I'm truly sanctified, I've won, I've completed it. It's something that is completed as we sit with God in heaven. Next, we address the hope. Uh, there is that we will be transformed as God is working through us. The verses are full of hope and encouragement. And even if, when there are some no-nonsense stern warnings clearly stated, the way is clearly laid out for a good way that we can choose to go. And it's my hope that each one of us leaves here not focusing on the warnings, even though we need to heed them, but focused on knowing there is a good way ahead when our focus is on the Lord. Verse 5 says, Now the message that we have heard from his Son and announces this, God is light and there is no darkness at all in him. This verse clearly states that there is no darkness in God at all, no acceptance or tolerance of any darkness by him. God is light and he wants us to join him in that focused way of living. John Stott comments that Jesus used the expression outer darkness for hell since this is the absolute exclusion from the light of God's presence. The encouragement is that Christ went into that outer darkness for us so we don't need to go there. When Jesus was on the cross the world reflected what he was going through. The darkness seemed to have lasted three hours after he was crucified. And at the end of it, he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Stott's words, our sins blotted out the sunshine of the Father's face. In John 1.4, we're told the word, Jesus, was the source of life. And this life brought light to people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. This gives us hope. It is through the power of Christ living in us and his spirit working through us that we have hope. That if we're faced with the temptations we are every day, we can have victory. We must recognise that we on our own have very limited resources to stand firm and honour God. Rather, we need to rely on Christ's power in us. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13 tells us, if you think you're standing firm, you'd better be careful that you do not fall. Every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to man, comes to people. But God keeps his promise and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you're put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it and so provide you with a way out. John starts by showing the power available 
to those who follow Jesus' teaching and his ways. And then in verse 6 we have a warning. If then we say that we have fellowship with him, yet at the same time we live in the darkness, we are lying both in our words and in our actions. Now having laid the foundation about God and his care for us through the provision of Jesus living among us and his death to restore us and broken relationship between mankind and God and the need to focus intently on living in the light, there is the first of three reality checks to carelessness. The warning cuts through any pretense we might have about pretending to say we're Christians and, let li- and yet living as if his teachings were an optional choice and don't matter. Three times in these verses, we've shown the good plans that God has for us. Then after each statement about what God has planned for us and has available to us, there is a strong warning. The warning is not left as a note of condemnation, but we're provided with the offer of hope and restoration when we've failed. But if we live in the light, just as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. That has to be one of the most comforting, encouraging verses in the whole of scripture. We don't have to stay in bondage. Living in the light means focusing on the vertical relationship. Means that we will have healthier horizontal relationships. Relationships with each other too. In addition, as we acknowledge our failure to him and focus on living in the light, strengthening our friendship with Christ, putting into practice what we understood, what we understand by living for him and trusting him for salvation, we will have the benefit of his power working in us to enable us to grow closer to him. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves There is no truth in us. But if we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive our sins and purify us from all wrongdoing. Again, in verses 8 and 9, we're both reminded to be aware of our sinful state and not deny its reality. In other words, as men and women, youth or children, we must recognise that any claim to be godly when we're really thinking that we are good enough or we're beyond sinning or the little temptations uh, we give in to don't matter, really does matter. If we say it doesn't, we're lying and lost until we recognise it. But we're told if we confess, if we agree with God that our sin is sin, if we ourselves declare it as wrong before a holy God, if we admit our failure to live before God as he requires, he is ready to act. In fact, he reminds us that he has already acted. He has already made the way possible so that when we acknowledge our wrongdoing and trust in his love for us, we're told in the second part of verse 9 that he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all wrongdoing. John is telling us clearly that God is a loving God and he wants 
our friendship. However, if we refuse to acknowledge the greatness of his love and that our sin has separated us from him, if we refuse to acknowledge our need for him, there is no other way to be restored to him. That his way is the only way. Unless we do that, we can never know him. We can never be smart enough, we can never do enough, we can never be good enough. And if we think we can, we're lost. But if we acknowledge him and we confess our sin and realise that we can't do it ourselves, then we will be redeemed. He says if we say that we have not sinned, we make a liar out of God and his word is not in us. John encourages those he is writing to to acknowledge the truth of what Christ taught, the truth of what the disciples taught, and the truth of what the Bible teaches us. Anything contrary has no power to set us free or to guide us in life in a way that will enable us to live lives that will bring us closer to God or help us to cope with the issues that we confront in life. The Apostle John has told us who God is. He has shown us God's values. He has shown us the way we can grow closer to him. He has shown us what God offers everyone who chooses to follow him. And this is simply the foundation from which he can help us build our lives so that we can walk with him. The choice today is up to each person. The choice is up to you. Will you continue to actively focus on living for him and getting to know him better and looking for him to empower and you enable you? If that is your choice, may he reveal more and more of himself to you in the days ahead. If you have not yet made the decision to accept his offer of salvation and begin the road to getting to know him and having a friendship with him, will you do so today? The offer is there. His word says, but we live, if we live in the light just as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. It is all about Jesus it's all about accepting him and living for him, as John has laid out for us. But if you are hearing this and you're choosing to ignore the words from the Apostle John, a man who spent time with Christ, you have chosen to reject the truth, revealed to us from God, and you'll face the consequences of rejecting his offer to everyone. In closing, let us consider the words I quoted earlier from John Stott. God lives in unapproachable light. No one has seen him or can see him. And those who reject the truth have only the fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Each one of us has a choice. And if we're walking with him, let us continue to walk with him because he's there to help us and to help us to live looking forward, not looking backwards, relying on him. Amen. Loving Father, 
your word clearly shows us that you're not a God who messes around. You're not a God to be trifled with. But when each person has chosen to walk with you, you have a good plan for them. Father, I pray it may be that each one here is doing that. And so, Lord, for each one of us who is doing that, would you continue to keep us focused on these verses that outline what you have done for us and you are doing for us and you want to do for us? But, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, would you speak to them? Would you encourage them to talk to one of the elders or myself? Father, may they come to know you so that they can live with a hope that is secure, a hope that's based on you, full of hope and purpose. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.